will be in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 31. You know, we have small group Bible study at my house on Monday night, and we're working through the book of Acts, and actually tomorrow night we'll be in chapter 16, so I was giving my crew a heads up. So if you come to church, you'll get a little sneak preview, and then you won't have to study quite so hard for Monday night. But anyhow, I still have it for them. So title of the message, if you got my email this week, is Obstacles and Open Doors. Y'all ever have obstacles in your life? I had one just, just a while ago. I almost tripped over this wire going down after the announcement. Y'all didn't notice that? Made the first three rows nervous right over here. I was already told, April says, don't trip over that wire. It's making Missy and me nervous. See, made me nervous. So, anyhow, so obstacles and open doors. We're going to talk about some obstacles. We're talking about some open doors. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's very important. God's Word opens up. It's all important. But it's going to show some things and, and give us an example of what we should do, how we should handle obstacles and the open doors. Now, you think about open doors. Uh, there's doors that open... And it's whether or not we walk through those doors. And there's other doors that God expects you to put just a little bit of pressure on them. I mean, he wants to see how committed you are to going through the door. So he won't open the door until you touch it a little bit. But let's look at some things together in Acts 16, uh, verses 16 through 31. Life is full of obstacles, and it's also full of open doors. But when you think about it, when I say the word obstacle, you immediately think about the word difficulty. A lot of times, obstacles tend to produce some type of a difficulty, whether it's a minor difficulty or a significant difficulty, but it tends to produce difficulty when open doors seem to reveal some type of relief, some type of, of relief that goes along with that. And we're going to look at those contrasts and, and the differences and the similarities between the two this morning. From a human standpoint, we all have to deal with obstacles. We all have to deal with difficulties in our life. And, and there's different levels of these difficulties. You think about the prayer list that we lifted up, the names of the people on the prayer list. And some of these are pretty significant Issues and some of them are not quite as significant, but they're significant either way to the individual, and they're all obstacles and they're all difficulties. But even though there are difficulties and obstacles in our life, let me give you some reassurance. God is still at work, amen? He hadn't left the throne. He's still on the throne. Even during COVID-19 in 2020, when we dealt with this major obstacle we'd never seen before, God was still on the throne. God's still in control. God's still calling all the shots. It's just a matter of whether or not we're listening to his direction and what he wants us to say and what he wants us to do. But he's still at work, and that's what's important. God is still at work through people. He's still working in lives of people. He's still working through people. He's still at work. Now, this tends to be one of the hardest things for people to understand and comprehend, that I say that God is still at work. Well, if a God who loves me so much is still at work, how can he let these difficult things in my life, how can he allow the obstacles that I have to deal with, how can he allow me to be going through all these trials and issues in my life? How could God who loves me allow all of this? Let me tell you something. God wants you to lean on him, amen? He wants you to trust him. He wants you to be dependent on him. He's still in control. He created all things. He is the almighty God. And we are what he created. But he wants us to be dependent on him. That's how he allows certain things in our lives. When you can look at the Bible, throughout the Bible, there's been significant individuals, people who trusted God, people who loved God. But God placed them in situations but it required them to lean on him, just like he does for us today. We need to lean on him with every situation. Now, 
leaning on God a lot of times doesn't make the situation go away, does it? It's still there. But let me tell you something. The fact that when God is working with you, when God is walking with you, makes those situations a lot easier to handle. Amen? We can walk through them together as long as he helps us navigate through them. Now, over the last several weeks and and even beyond that, we've been talking about obedient servants who found and worked through the will of God. We talked about these servants that, that, that in God's word who focused on how they responded to the will of God because God has a will for our lives. He places a will on each one of us. And we've looked at some different people throughout Bible, but the focus was how they responded to when God gave them something to do. When God asked them to do something, how they responded. Some of the individuals responded immediately. They didn't hesitate. They went straight to the work that God wanted them to do and they followed the commands that God gave them, while others responded reluctantly, but eventually got it done, but eventually did what God wanted them to do, but they were a little hesitant about that. We've looked at that on Sunday mornings and Sunday night. We've looked at the way we respond to God, where we question him, whether we don't question him, we respond immediately to him. John the Baptist was a faithful follower for Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner for Christ. He's six months ahead of Christ in his ministry, and you think about it, from his birth to his death, he didn't waver from what God had called him to do. He did exactly what he was told to do. He, God had laid it on his heart, a mission that he had, and his mission was to prepare the way for the Messiah, to tell people he's coming, to help people get ready for him, to, to know that, that it's not me that's important, but it's the one who's coming after me that's important. John was faithful in his ministry. He was committed throughout his life. Now, we also looked at Jonah. We looked at Jonah and and the will for his life. Jonah was a little bit reluctant. He didn't want God to save the city of Nineveh. He went the opposite direction. When God gave him something to do, he went the opposite direction because he didn't want the people to be saved. And and it's thinking about it. God got his attention, didn't he? God got his attention, but God also gave him a second chance. And that's what we talked about in that particular message is that we serve a God of second chances. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what direction you've been traveling, God is the God of second chances. He, he will give you a second chance right up until you draw your last breath, and then there's no more chances. The Bible is full of amazing stories about how God goes to extremes. Man, God will go to an extreme for one person to come to know Jesus Christ. Christ. He goes to extreme for one person to become a believer. The Bible says that God desires that not one person should perish. He wants all people to spend eternity with him in heaven. He created us to spend eternity with him in heaven. And the Bible says not one person should perish. The Bible says that God desires for all of us to spend eternity with him. Now, God uses obedient servants to reach people and to show them how much he loves them. Now, this morning, This morning, we're going to open up God's word together and see two obedient servants, two more that we're going to look at who overcame obstacles that they faced, some pretty significant obstacles in their life and in their ministry and how God opened the doors for their ministry. If you are able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16, says this. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met, met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed 
turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they were severely flogged, after they severely flogged him, they threw him into jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner portion of the inner portion of the prison and secured their feet in stocks. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up, he saw the doors of the prison standing open, and he drew his sword because he was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your family. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. God wants to do a work in your life. It's hard to believe, but God wants to do a work in your life because he wants to do a work through your life. He wants to work through your life. When God got a hold of Paul on the road to Damascus, he was Saul. And I'm going to use those words Saul and Paul. And you know if you study the Bible much, it's the same person. But Saul and Paul, when God got a hold of Saul on the road to Damascus and he became Paul, it's a different issue. God got a, got a hold of him and he changed Saul's life into Paul. He became Paul, became completely different than he was before. Heading down that road, he was one way, but ending the road, he was a completely different person when you think about it Saul put a lot of people in jail Saul went to putting Christians in jail and he went from putting people in jail to spending time in jail this is something we're going to talk about this morning Saul who was Paul and we call him Paul from here on out but anyhow Paul went from persecuting Christians he was persecuting the church he was dragging people off and putting them in chains and putting them inside the prison and he went from doing this from putting them in prison to sitting inside of the exact same jail jails as a prisoner. It would be easy to say that Saul got great satisfaction from putting Christians in jail. That's what he lived for. That was his mission. It'd also be easy to say that Paul got great satisfaction from sitting in jail. You think about, well, Carrie, how does a person ever get satisfaction from sitting in jail? You think about it. The Bible says in this scripture we looked at, the gates were open, the doors were open, and they still stayed in there. So there must have been a reason that he got satisfaction from being in there. It'd be easy to say that he got satisfaction from spending time in the jail. Now, how could anybody get satisfaction from spending time in the jail? I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever seen the inside of a jail? Don't expand on that, okay? (laughs) 
I, I asked Patty that. I said, should I ask that question? Because I'd, I'd put that in there and saying, should I ask that question? She said, I don't know. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> I, I've seen inside of a jail. Let me just tell you something. In my, uh, my service as a paramedic for years, we would have to go to the jail and get people out of the jail. But I've seen inside jail. Let's look at this. Sure, people seen inside jail. TV gives us a lot of images about what a jail looks like. Amen? I'm not talking about the jail on the Andy Griffith show. Huh? That's a completely different type of jail. I'm talking about a first century Roman jail, a dark, dingy, smelly room that's indicated for pain and punishment. There was nothing pleasurable about this facility. Let me tell you something, nothing pleasurable at all. Paul's satisfaction came from doing the work of God and doing it the will that he had for his life. That's where his satisfaction came from. It didn't matter to Paul where he was at. It didn't matter the circumstances Paul was in. His satisfaction came from the power of the Holy Spirit. It came from God himself walking Paul through every step of the way. You might say that jail was a regular stop for Paul throughout his ministry because he was in and out of it a lot. The difference between Saul and Paul is that Saul was outside the will of God, and Paul was inside the will of God. And that's something we want to make sure we're doing. Man, are we walking inside the will of God? And that's the the difference between these two individuals. One individual, but two different names and two different missions. They They were the same person, but they had different names, and they had different ministries, and they had different missions, and they had different satisfactions, and they had different functions and purposes that they had for their lives. Saul was on mission to persecute Christians. Christians, but Paul's mission was to make sure people knew Jesus Christ, make sure they knew who he was, make sure they knew the the love that God has for them, and the Bible says how to be saved. And ultimately, that means how to spend eternity with God the Father in heaven. God used the obstacles in Paul's life to open doors in his life and to the lives of other people because not only were the doors open for Paul and Silas and all the other prisoners there, it says in the Bible that all the chains were loosened. All the doors were open. You think about it, all the prisoners stayed right where they were. And that's what's important in this passage of Scripture. You've got to think about it because God was in control. God uses obstacles in Paul's life in order to make relationships grow, make, sure, make other people come to know Jesus Christ and have relationships with him. Now, in our passage of Scripture this morning, we read about an encounter that Paul and Silas on two different locations. I read a lot of Scripture. There's two different issues going on here, and there's two different encounters, but they, they link together. The first encounter shows how the reason that Paul and Silas are in the jail cell, and the second one shows what happens after they're inside it. The first encounter happens when Paul and Silas are on their way to pray. The Bible's very specific. I hope you didn't just go right through that passage and think about it. It says they, they were on their way to pray. That was a regular occurrence for them. It's something they did on a regular event and a regular daily occurrence. They used every opportunity they had to witness to people. Every opportunity they had to witness to people all along the way. The Bible says a young girl who was demon-possessed was following Paul and Silas around, announcing who they were announcing what they were and announcing who they served. Well, you think about it. You, one side of you, when you think about, well, what's the big deal? I mean, they're helping get the word out, right? When you look at it, that, that's what we want to do. We want people to, to see, uh, get the word out, and know what's going on. And this, this girl's following them around. Here's the thing. Paul and Silas did not need anybody to help them tell the word of Jesus Christ. They had the Holy Spirit inside of them. Amen. 
There's a difference between this girl and what she had inside of her. She was demon-possessed. Paul and Silas were, were announcing about Jesus Christ. They had the power of the Holy Spirit in him. There's the difference between the two when you look at it, all right? Listen, they didn't need anybody announcing for them. God was working through them. He's done a work in their lives. He had changed their lives early on, and he was doing a work through them. Now, Satan's demons possessed this girl. Well, Carrie, how do you know that? It says she was demon-possessed, and demons are, are servants of Satan. Satan's demons possessed this young girl, and they were the ones who were making the announcements, not this girl. She was demon-possessed. That's how she foretold the future. The demons were the one announcing it, not this young girl. Satan will do anything he can to hinder the work of God. He'll do anything he can to stroke through stumbling blocks and obstacles in the path. He will attack your mind. He will attack your life. And he will attack your family. John, 3, John 10, 10 says this. Satan come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Let me ask you something. Does that sound like somebody you want to hang out with? Somebody who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. One minute he speaks the truth, and the next minute he tells a lie. And the unsaved, those who do not know Jesus Christ as personal love and Savior, have a hard time distinguishing between the truth. He twists words that God, to make it sound good and interesting, he twists the scriptures before uh, on Jesus. He twists the scriptures of Eve and deceived her in the Garden of Eden. He, he, one minute he makes it sound good, and the next minute it's, it's completely a lie. He wants to twist your word. He wants to disrupt you. He wants to give you a stumbling block in your life as well. It's clear that Paul did not want the gospel or the name of God to be promoted by any of Satan's demons or any of Satan's slaves. So he cast the demons out of this young girl. He gave her her life back. He took the evil spirits out of her life and cast them out. The results of this encounter. Here's where we go into the second part of our, our passage. The results of this encounter that Paul and Silas are falsely accused. You think about it. They were called Jews. But they were not Jews. They were Roman citizens. They were said that they were Jews and they were promoting things that were false. And they were beaten. Severely, severely beaten with rods. You think about it, and, and here's the thing is what Paul and Silas go through from this beating, this severe beating with rods to be shackled up in this chain in this prison to where we're going to go with this is going to be amazing because God is going to do a miracle and he's going to do a, a work in their lives and he's going to do a work in, in several other people's lives here. The inner portion of the jail was the most secure because it was the hardest to get in and out of when you think about it. No bars on the windows because there were no windows. No lighting in the room. It was an inner portion of the cell. There was one door in, which makes one way in and one way out. And it's guarded by people sitting in front of it with swords. All right? The Bible says that around midnight, here's the important part. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Man, you think about it. Sometimes we have a hard time getting people to sing hymns on Sunday morning, right, Brother Wesley? Man, we should be blowing this roof off of this place when we're singing hymns. You think about Paul and Silas. They'd been beaten to a pulp with rods. They were shackled up inside of a prison. But they were singing and praising God from memory because it's pitch black dark. They didn't have no hymnal books to sing from. They were singing from memory. They were singing and praising God because of who he was, because of how he had worked in their lives, because of the will that they were in. And he, he was guiding them every step of the way. Man, it's awesome you think about that, how they were dedicated to him. Can you imagine having enough energy and excitement to sing praises to the Lord at midnight? You ever, you ever thought about that? Anybody here ever just busted off a tune at midnight? Patty won't let me sing in the morning time. You know that? 
I, I can wake up ready to sing. She said, time out. <laughs> this is quiet time, buddy. All right. All right. Prayer and praise, that's two important things. That's what you don't want to miss in this. Prayer and praise are powerful weapons. Prayer is a powerful tool. Let me tell you something. God gave us the opportunity of prayer. Satan doesn't have that opportunity. God gave us the opportunity to praise. Satan doesn't praise God. We do. We praise him and we sing to him. We lift his name up. We study his word. We draw close to him and we have prayers, our com- communication with him. God gives us the word to read, to study. That's how he speaks to us. But he gives us prayer to talk back to him and for him to ha- allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Now, prayer and praise are two powerful weapons that Satan fears. You say, well, what do you mean Satan fears? I'm going to tell you something. Satan does not want you to use either one of them. Satan doesn't want you to praise God. He doesn't want you to sing at the top of your lungs and, and sing at midnight. He doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to have a quiet time. He doesn't want you to spend time in the Word. He doesn't want you to read Scripture. He doesn't want you to memorize Scripture. That's not what he wants. He wants you to, to say, okay, you can, you can do that tomorrow. You can do that another day. Don't worry, but you've got some other things that you want to do that are more exciting today. God responded. Here's the thing. God responded by shaking the foundations of the prison, opening all the doors, loosening all the chains and that had shackled Paul and Silas and every other prisoner in the jail. Now, they could have easily got up and walked out because the jailer was not awake at that time. Even though there's a hurricane, I mean, an earthquake going on, it says that everything opened up and the jailer awakened and saw what had happened. They could have easily walked out, but instead they remained right where they were because here's the thing. Their work and their service to the Lord was not finished inside the jail. The, the shackles were not holding them in the jail cell. The, the doors, the locked doors were not holding them in the jail cell. Their mission was still going on even though the freedom had been given to them uh, literally. I'm quite sure that Everybody in the, in the jail heard Paul and Silas singing and praising. You know the thing about it? Most jails are pretty noisy. But I got a feeling that they heard what was going on because it said that they all were listening to him. They heard Paul and Silas singing and the other pr- prisoners witnessed the events that took place because their doors opened, their shackles came off, but they all stood still. You think about it, what was taking place. There's no way of knowing how many people came to know the Lord as a result of this encounter because the Bible focuses on one purpose in this p- particular passage and it's on the jailer. But there's other people involved that are, that are hearing exactly what's taking place. But the focus of Paul and Silas is on the jailer. It's a strong possibility that many of those people in their, in their... When you look at the history, many of these people in there were waiting to be executed. They were waiting to be put to death. And many of them may become believers as a result of Paul and Silas's activities and what took place with God. Look at this. It's a strong possibility that many of them... Uh, could have come to know the Lord, but uh, the focus of Paul and Silas was on one individual, and that was the jailer. When we talk about one person, how important one person is, and the Bible says when one lost sheep comes to know the Lord, that the angels, all the angels in heaven are rejoicing. When one lost sheep comes to know the Lord, all the angels in heaven are rejoicing. The one is important. One is just as important. One lost sheep is just as important as the 99 who are still in the flock. That one is so important. The Bible says that God chooses that not one person should, pres- should perish. All people are equally valued to God. And you think about it, after all, we're all made in His image. That's what the Bible says. 
We're all made in the image of God, and that's why we're all equally important to him. Paul's attention was fixed on the jailer who was guarding them. You think about it. This was a man Paul really wanted to win to the Lord. Now, Paul didn't save him, but Paul provides an avenue for him to be saved when you think about it. This was a man that Paul wanted to win to Christ. It was a Roman law. If a guard lost a prisoner, then he would receive the same punishment that the prisoner would receive. And you think about it, most of these prisoners in here were going to be executed. The jailer would have rather commit suicide than face the shame and the execution that was waiting him after losing the prisoner. You think about it, to die by the sword. If the jailer had, had lost the prisoner, all right? If the jailer who was a prisoner uh, had lost the prisoner, he would have been executed just like those that were in the jail. You think about it now. Who is the prisoner here? In this story, when we're looking at this story of Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas are not the prisoner. The jailer is actually the prisoner because of sin, because of his lifestyle, because of who he was prior to Paul and Silas becoming into the jail cell. Paul was not only saved this man's life by telling him, we're all still here. Don't, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. But he also pointed him to eternal life in Jesus Christ. Some people think that there's a long list of things they've got to do before they can come to know Jesus Christ. There's, there's a lot of things we've got to do to take place before we come to know Jesus Christ. And others say, I believe there's a God, and I'm a good person. I believe that there's a God, I'm a good person, and, and, and I know that there's a God, and I know that, that, that he looks upon me, and I haven't done anything bad. But you're looking at the Bible, what it says, the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? That's what's on his mind. That's what he asked. He saw what had taken place. What must I do to behave? And here's the, this is the cry of lost people throughout the world. Man, people don't know the difference. Lost people a lot of times don't know they're lost. They don't know. They don't have a hope in, in knowing where there's an eternal future. And what must I do to be saved? Paul knew the right answer, and he was quick to answer, and he said, faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, That's the, that sums it up, faith in Jesus Christ, pretty simple, place your faith in Jesus Christ, invite him into your heart, turn it over to the Lord, faith in Jesus Christ, when people place their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord changes them, you think about it, this man changed, the minute that Paul offered him the, the fact and the plan of salvation and faith in Jesus Christ, this man's life changed, Jesus Christ is in the life saving business. He's in the life-changing business. When he comes into your life, he will change you. There's no way around it. He's going to change you. He's still in the life-changing business. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be born again. Nicodemus asked him this exact same question, but that's what it means to be born again. When the jailer found the Lord, he was a changed person. It's a good possibility that he was, had been the one who had beaten Paul with a rod. He had probably participated in that. He was a good possibility that, that he was one of the ones who had inflicted pain on Paul and Silas throughout this time. He was the one that shackled them up, and I expect the shackles were pretty tight and uncomfortable. He's the same man. When you look at it, he had a change of heart and a change of attitude. The Bible says that he washed their wounds, that he helped them. He cleansed up their wounds. That's the thing is he made restitution for what had been done, whether he had done it or his crew had done it, but he had a changed individual. He was had compassion for them because of what he had, they had been through. You think about it. Looking at this jailer's life, one minute he was a potential suicide victim ready to die by the sword. The next minute he was a born-again believer, a child of God, ready to live for the Lord. Man, it's completely different. That's a radical change, amen? 
That's a 180-degree turnaround. The Bible says that he brought Paul and Silas into his house. He prepared a meal for them, and he rejoiced. There's some good, there's some good thoughts. You come into this house next Sunday, we'll prepare a meal for you, and we'll rejoice. Amen? It's third Sunday. Listen to that. The Bible says he brought Paul and Silas into the house, prepared a meal for them, and rejoiced. You think about all the events we've talked about. You think about all the encounters we've talked about where Jesus Christ has, has come inside somebody's heart. What is the final result of what takes place in those encounters? Rejoicing. Amen? They all rejoice. Every story in the Bible, God moves through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that same thing where Jesus dwells in the heart. They all leave rejoicing. The same thing happens with people today. When God moves in and becomes part of their lives through their faith in Jesus Christ, it's a time for us to rejoice. When Luke, uh, Luke 15, 10 says this, Jesus says that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one person comes to know the Lord. Let me let you know something. There's no number, numerical number about the amount of angels that are in heaven. But it says that every single one of them is rejoicing when one person comes to know the Lord. The words of Jesus remind us how valuable we are to God. When you think about it, it rattles heaven, shakes it up whenever one person comes to know the Lord because of how valuable each and every one of us is to Jesus Christ. The words also remind us how much God yearns for us to spend eternity with him in heaven. I mean, that's what he wants. He didn't create us for this world. I don't care what your job is. I don't care how successful or not successful you are. God didn't create us for this world. He created us to have an eternal life with him in heaven. That's what he created us for. And he gave us free will to make that choice. He loves us so much that he gave us his son to die for us as a, a, for salvation. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how much he loves us. When you think about it, would you sacrifice your own son for somebody else? That's what your heavenly father did for each of us. He sacrificed his own son so that we could have a relationship with him. Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. By grace you have been saved, not of yourself. Nothing you can do could make, you, make God love you any more. Nothing you can do can make him love you any less because he loves you unconditionally. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us was born with a sinful nature. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nothing we can do to change that other than believing in Jesus Christ. Sin creates a separation between us and God. He can't get to us because of sin, and we can't get to him. He had to create a solution, and he did that by sending Jesus Christ to be the substitute for us and to take sin on his shoulders. Romans ten thirteen says this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is straight up scripture, the plan of salvation. It says in the Bible, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say you've got to jump through a certain amount of hoops to get saved. It says calling on the name of the Lord. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus powerful, but his name in itself. We talk about that on Wednesday nights, about the power in God's name. But the power, the name of Jesus Christ carries that same power. Power. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be forgiven and shall be saved, and he'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Friends, I want to tell you, when our time on this earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. We're either going to spend eternity separated from God in hell, or we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And eternity is too long to be wrong. We want to make sure that we know where we're going to spend eternity. Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
It's that simple. God made it simple. He didn't make it hard for us. It says, by faith we are saved. And when we confess our sins and faith and place our faith in him, it says he is just and he'll save us. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And if you don't know this Jesus I've been talking about and you don't have this relationship that I've been talking about, I'll be down front and I'd love to talk to you about it. Let me tell you something. If you don't want to come down front, I'll be here after services are over. And I can talk to you individually. But let me tell you something. You want to know we're going to spend eternity because eternity is too long to be wrong. And don't let the sun go down on this day without making sure that you know where you're going to spend eternity. Maybe there's others in here that, that just need to pray. Maybe there's issues in your life that you want to just throw at the feet of the cross and lay at the feet of the cross. The altar is always open. Our deacons would love to pray with you. I would pray with you. Whatever the issue is, let me tell you something. The invitation, and this is very important to me, the invitation is not just something we tack on the end of the service. It's a time of reflection. It's a time that you spend with the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is your time. It's not about what other people are doing. It's about your relationship. It's a vertical relationship, time that you spend with the Lord, a meditation. You can close your eyes. You can leave them open. It doesn't matter. But make sure that you're communicating with the Father because he wants to talk with you this morning. He's here. His presence is here through the power of the Holy Spirit. So whatever decisions you have to make, whatever's on your mind, this is your time. Father God, I just come before you this morning. God, I just thank you for the power that's in your word. God, I thank you for the love that you have for each of us. And, Father, I pray if there's one person in the sound of my voice that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would be the day that they would turn it over to you. Father, for others in our congregation, God, there's, there's, there's obstacles in our lives. And, God, there's, there's struggle. But, God, I just pray that you would intervene in those issues. And, God, that you would open doors where doors need to be opened. God, I just thank you for our time and I ask you bless in our time of invitation. These things I ask in your sons precious and holy name. Amen.